Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Lower Town. Uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here, and I'm excited to jump back into uh, Romans. This is, believe it or not, week number 40. A uh, good little milestone here that we've been going through Romans. And so uh, if you're new, it's okay. Checking out Hope. Yeah, I missed a lot, sure. Uh, but we're going to jump into Romans. We're starting off in chapter 10 uh, this morning. And, and so just real quick, who, what, what is Romans? Uh, it's written by a guy named Paul. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so he's going to say that he, he is a servant of Jesus first and foremost, and that an apostle simply means one who was sent out. Uh, by the resurrected Jesus, that God, Jesus in the flesh, shows up to Paul uh, and says, I am choosing you to be sent out to the Gentiles, to all other people, ethnicities, other than just the Jews, um, which, which Peter would have been responsible for in Jerusalem. Uh, and so that's, that's, who, that's who Paul is. And so he's writing this letter to the churches uh, that had been established in Rome. Uh, after Christ had already been uh, dead and buried and resurrected and ascended. And so, and then again, just our Bible is broken up into two Testaments, Old Testament and New Testament, or you can think uh, BC and AD. Uh, it's kind of the same same deal uh, before Christ and anti-domini, I think, which means uh, the year of our Lord. So kind of the same thing, uh, which our New Testament starts right then with the life of Christ. And so that's, that's where we're at. And this book, though, was written to the churches. Again, in Rome, it's written to them. It's not written to the church in the United States of America. It doesn't make any sense. No, it's written to the churches in Rome, but it can be for us. It is for sure applied for us in our culture, in our day and age. And so we're going to see that a lot uh, this morning, that Paul is going to be very specific to his Jewish brothers and sisters, but there is some very good and direct application when it comes to us uh, this morning. And so we have, again, just been looking at specifically in Romans chapter 9 through 11, mainly just chapter 9. Now we're kicking off verse or chapter 10. Um, that did God's plan fail, right? God, God was like, hey, here's the whole Old Testament. This is how you worship me. This is how you love me. Oh, that didn't work. Let's go plan B. Now you need Jesus. What about all the rules and the laws, and the regulations? And so that, that didn't work. And, and the Apostle Paul is going to argue, no, 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 that, it, 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 that wasn't supposed to work. That was never the plan. The plan was always Messiah. The plan was always the promise of, of, the, of the Redeemer, of Jesus. And so um, that's where we're going to be uh, looking at this morning in uh, Romans chapter 10, just four verses, one through four. Um, and so that's where we're going to be. So a while back, long time ago, before uh, I was a pastor, it was right after college. Um, it was 2009, and I couldn't find a job anywhere. I mean, I, I did the old school. I, I printed out all my applications or application, my resumes, and I went, I mean, everywhere, giving resumes, and, and I would say, hey, they're like, oh, you can do it online. I'm like, no, 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 I need to meet you in person. I need to meet with your first new hires right now because nobody was hired. Nobody was hired. And I thought, and again, I had a, I had a humanities degree. <laughs> what is that? I still don't know what that means. Uh, and so, but I had a four-year degree, but I, I just couldn't get a job. And I thought, okay, worst case scenario, I will go to the mall and I will start applying as a manager at, at, in the mall. And I, and I did that to so many different places, never heard a word back, got rejected. And then I finally was like, all right, worst case scenario, um, I'll go into Hollister and I got hired in the spot. Uh, so uh, that, was, uh, that was a dark time in my life. Um, uh, there's now a documentary uh, about what I used to do uh, back then. Oh boy. Anyways, here's the point. I was, uh, there's one day I was a manager and 
And I had a model, is what we called them, which is why it was legal uh, to hire people based on how they looked. Uh, okay, so just, you know, we'll talk about that later. But we had a model uh, up front, um, and, uh, and, and they were the greeters, right? And, and I would just small talk with them, and, and I don't remember this girl's name, thank God. And um, I, I was just, just talking with her, and I said, hey, um, you know, what do you, what, what's going on, whatever, in your life right now? And she goes, oh, it's my birthday. I was like, wow, that's, wow, happy birthday, you know? And she's like, oh, I'm 18 or 19, however old she was. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. You got any, you got any plans for tonight? She's like, yeah, I'm going out with my, my twin brother. And I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. I didn't know you were a twin. Well, that's, that's kind of cool, you know? And, and I was like, so I'm guessing it's also then his birthday too. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And she was like, no, no, it's not his birthday. And I was like, what? And I was like, so hang on a second. I was like, so you're fraternal twins. And she's like, what's a fraternal twin? I was like, ah, well, it's, you have, you're not identical twins. You can't be because you're a girl and he's a guy, right? You have, so it's your brother and he's your twin. And she was like, yeah. I was like, okay, it's weird to be a fraternal twin and not know what a fraternal twin is, but yeah, okay, you're, you're fraternal twins. And, and I was like, so, so what happened? Was it like at midnight and he was, so his birthday's tomorrow? And she's like, no, his birthday's not for a couple of months. And I was like, what? I mean, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom this, right? It didn't make any sense to me. And I was like, so I, you got to help me understand. And she was like, well, yeah, he's, He's like two years younger than me, um, but we're just really close in age and we like a lot of the same things. So we just call ourselves twins. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> I was like, that entire conversation was a waste of my life. I mean, I, I, I mean I'll never forget it. It was just like, that does, you, you don't lead with my twin brother. That's not how that works. When, and, then, and then have a conversation about what it is to be a twin if you're not really a twin. It doesn't, you, wait, you wasted my time. I don't understand. And I walked away very frustrated with her. Um, and, and, and there are times in our life, and I'm sure you've had conversations, maybe not quite like that. Um, and if you want to summarize what it is like working at Hollister, that, that's what it was, <laughs> uh, uh, taking care of children. Um, and so uh, anyways, uh, uh, you might have had conversations like that. And, and what we're going to see with the Apostle Paul this morning is that it's not just a conversation that is a waste of time, but even a, a lifestyle, a, a passion, something that I get so excited about is, is a waste of time. And I'm not talking like sports or, or something that I get, I get really passionate about this, this team or I get passionate about this this, this book or this genre of whatever, or this movie or that, that, okay, that's one thing to be passionate, but I mean like a lifestyle. And what the apostle Paul is going to say, it's, it's rubbish. It's garbage. It was a waste of time, specifically looking at, at religion. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, and so this week's sermon titled Christ, the completion of the law. We're going to be in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Uh, we didn't get to do this a couple weeks ago. I was telling, telling Zach, a couple weeks ago, a lot of words, a lot of things were said. This week, little words. So here we go. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and stand with me as I read this out loud. Um, I'll read it. You don't need to read it, but just follow along with me. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4 says this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's jump into a little bit of context 
because again, we're, we're starting off a new, a new chapter in every book of the Bible. Again, we have the Old Testament and New Testament, but every book of the Bible uh, is broken into, into chapters and then verses. And so the chapters and the verses are not inspired by God. Those were added uh, much, much later. I think the chapters were added in the 1200s. And I think verses were added in the 1500s uh, just to help uh, navigate the scriptures. Um, and so, so again, what we're starting in chapter 10, it's, it's, a, it's a continuation of the previous thought. And so again, this, this book would have just been read in one sitting. We're not doing that. We're, we're slowing down. We're taking a look at this. Um, and so we just want to give a little bit of context what's happening. So last week, Paul, our Paul, uh, preached this passage in Romans chapter 9, 30 through 33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued the law would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. As we say, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It's always been by faith in the promises of God. Always, it's the whole, whole point of this. He says, but they, that is Israel, they've stumbled over the stumbling stone. That's Jesus. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And going back to the previous uh, verses in chapter nine that not, he's gonna say very explicitly, not all Israel is Israel. That there are people who are born and of the ethnicity of Israel and the nation of Israel, but even they are not Israel. There's a, there's a remnant, there's a people in that Israel who believe in the promises of God, who have faith in God. And there are other people who call themselves Israelites that are doing it based on their bloodline or because of some religious duty that they're doing. And they're not in. That's not how you get in. It's always by faith. And so it doesn't matter. You've got Isaac and, uh, and, and Ishmael uh, that were both sons of Abraham, but Isaac is the son of promise. Then Isaac has two sons of, of Jacob and Esau. And, and even though Esau is bigger and stronger and, and the firstborn, he is not a son of the promise. It's Jacob, right? And that's just how God works. It is by faith in the promise of God, not by my ethnicity. And that's going to happen. And we're going to see that over and over. And so that's going to be the context. And again, the Apostle Paul is going to say this in 2 Timothy. He's writing to Timothy, uh, his disciple, his follower, his young, this young preacher. And he's going to say, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. This is Old Testament, right? There's no, there's no New Testament when he's writing this New Testament to Timothy. He said, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's the Old Testament. He says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Christ just means the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. The Old Testament screams we need a Messiah. We can't do this on our own. We can't just make sacrifices and, 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 and obey the laws and just, we're, we're good. We, there's gotta be something else. We're, we're missing something here. We're in the promised land and yet nothing has changed. He says, yeah, because we need a savior. We need someone to come and forgive us of our sins. We need this Messiah. And, and Paul is saying, this is, this is very evident in the Old Testament. It's always been about Christ Jesus. So again, this morning, my goal is that we would see Jesus, but not just see this man that walked on this earth whose name was Jesus. 
the son of Joseph. We, I'm not talking about a historical figure, although that's one and the same. I don't want you to just to, to learn about Jesus. I want you to know your savior, that we need a savior. We don't need a life coach. We don't need someone who can just, oh yeah, here's some morals. Here's a good way. Here's a better standard of living. We need someone who will save us from our sins. And listen, there are, there are weeks where I get up here and, and, I, and I think about uh, if, if, man, what if my neighbor came to church this week? I wanna, I wanna, I'm thinking about this other person. Maybe it's you at some point when I'm writing a sermon. I'm like, oh man, I really hope this connects to that individual. This sermon this week is for me. I need to see Jesus, the savior of my soul, not a life coach, not someone who just improves my way of life. So you're welcome to listen to me preach to myself this morning because I, I need this. So who is the subject or the them in this passage that we just read? Again, we, we've used this a lot, probably too much. Maybe you're getting sick of this, too bad. Okay, <laughs> this is how we study our Bibles, how we learn, right? We grasp the text in their town, point number one. Then there's two, you gauge the width of the river, culture, language, uh, time, situation. What covenant are we in? What testament are we in, right? And then you cross this principalizing bridge. What are the principles that were taught in their town that we can now grasp in our town, point five, and then four there is consult the biblical roadmap. Or I think Paul last week used the word integration. How do we integrate all of scripture into now what we know? And then, and then we can grasp the text in our town. And so we're just going to go kind of back and forth this morning. Hey, here's what it meant to first century Jews that Paul's writing to. Here's, here's what this means to me. Here's what it means to us. And so we're going to be kind of kind of doing that back and forth. So again, just going back at this, who is the they? He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for, to God for them is that they may be saved, All right? So again, he's, he's saying not all Israel is Israel. I've been here the last couple of weeks. He's saying, okay, but he's saying, he, he even says, I, I wish that I could experience hell that they might be redeemed. He said, I, I'm willing to put myself and my salvation aside if I could save my, my kindred. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about people who are Jewish, who don't believe in the Messiah, right? But we know that he's thinking of individuals. He writes his individual letter to Timothy that we, that we read about. He would have known quite a few Jews who would have believed and followed after Jesus in his group, the apostles to be just a few, He's thinking of this group of people who think they're saved because of their bloodline or their race or because of their religion. And so when he's using the word them or they, yes, he means, yes, I wish all the Jews were saved the same way that I would say, I wish all of our congregation were saved or all the city of St. Paul were saved. Right? So it's a broad thing, but my guess is that Paul here can name people that he can think of people he's had encounters, had encounters with. He can think of neighbors and family members and friends that are saying, I don't want this Jesus. I don't want that. I, we have religion. We have what God gave us. We're the chosen people of God. I don't want this Jesus. That's not the Messiah. He died on the cross. The Messiah is gonna set us free from bondage. And Paul's saying he did. He set us free from the bondage of our sin. And he gives us rest for our souls, not our physical bodies. There's so much more and we're missing it. Now that's what it would have meant in their town. In our town, do I desire that for anyone? 
Do I desire and pray that people would be saved? And can I name them? Do I pray for specific individuals that they would come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ? Neighbors, friends, family members. Do you have anybody that comes to mind? Do you pray for them? That might be our town. Moving on, they know about God, but don't know God. It has this word uh, for in here. A lot could be said about this word for. And I know it just, it just seems like it's just a for, but, it, but it's an ongoing thought, okay? It's a, it's a continuation. So brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for God, for them is that they may be saved. For, it's this continuing process. The illustration I used a couple weeks ago was that it was a kid riding a bike. You gotta, you gotta keep pedaling. And you stop and focus in on one of these phrases for too long, you're gonna fall over, you're gonna hurt yourself. You gotta keep, you gotta keep moving. Okay, so that's this idea, this word for saying, let's keep, keep, the, keep the thought moving. Okay, so he desires they would be saved for, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He's saying they know the laws. They know the Old Testament laws. A lot of them had the Old Testament, first the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. By memory, had it memorized. that When Jesus is talking and it says that he was talking to a lawyer or, or some, a student of the law, that's what this is. It's somebody who knew the book and knew all 613 laws that are in the Old Testament. They knew the law. This is what he said. They were zealous. They would have these phylacteries tied around their arms. Maybe you've seen this. It's still true in, in, in Jewish culture to this day. They'd put a box on their, on their head because it says that we always want to have the, the word of God on the forefront of our mind. And so they'd say, okay, literally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap verses onto my forehead. They take it. They're, they're, they're very zealous for God. But they don't know God. They know the rules, but they don't know the author of the rules. They don't know his heart behind the rules. And Paul's saying, you're missing it. You're zealous, but you've missed it. And Paul says, I get it because I was that way. I used to persecute the church. I used to kill Christians. I said, but man, I, because I was so zealous for the things of God and I missed who the Messiah was. He says this in Philippians chapter three, four through eight. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more. And he's going to go through some laws that make him a really good Jew. He just said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says this though. But whatever, I gained, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I, you, you think I had it all together? You think I, I knew everything? I knew the rules. I had all the laws memorized. I knew them in and out. We even wrote extra biblical books, the Mishnah and the Torah. And I had those memorized so that I would point more people to Yeshua. And I, excuse me, not to Yeshua, to Yahweh. And reject Yeshua. I reject the Messiah. reject Jesus. Because it was garbage. It was a loss. I resonate with this. And I, <laughs> I, 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 listen, 
I'm not doing this to puff myself up because I'm about to share some things and I'm going to say it's garbage, right? The way that I once lived as a zealot for Jesus was garbage because it was all about me. That was me. It used to be me. I have my uh, 20-year high school reunion coming up, which is so weird. Why do we do that? 20 years? I was 17 when this picture was taken, right? It's like I haven't, I, I was younger then than I've been, you know, the more time has passed than I was alive when I knew these people. It doesn't make, why do we do this? And then I've got to plan it because I was the stinking class president. I don't want to do it. So dumb. Here's my point. Right on this is the, my little yearbook picture, right? Uh, you can't really read it, but I attended Schaumburg Christian School just for two years, my junior and senior year. And I was in band four years, choir four years, ensemble four years, handbells two years, who's who one year. I still don't know what who's who means. Basketball four years, soccer two years, play three years, preacher boys one year. I was learning Greek, Koine Greek, with the Bible. The New Testament was written in my junior year in high school. How about you? Freshman president, sophomore president, junior chaplain, senior president, because I transferred to this school and they said, hey, Brian, we know you. We know your reputation. We really like you. We're glad you're coming to your, our school, but we have a rule that says you can't be the president uh, when you're the first year, when you're first year, because I got voted in to be the, my junior class president. I said, sorry, you can't do that. And I said, how about make me the chaplain? They said, okay, deal. What? You don't even know me. <laughs> and every Friday I'd get up and I'd, and I'd give a little sermonette to my class, usually about don't drink, don't whatever. Who knows what? Listen, I'm telling you, it's dung. It's garbage. You know why? Because it was a works-based religion. I, I, and I know I've shared this before. I literally have a trophy. I couldn't find it. It's somewhere in the garage. I won the best Christian character award in my high school and got a $10,000 scholarship. You may have gotten a scholarship to your school. I bet it wasn't for being the best Christian. That's wild. It's garbage. The law, religion, man, religion is so stinking easy. It is so easy to look good. I knew what to say, how to say it, when to say it. I knew all of it. And people are like, wow, man, this guy, Brian Silver, he's the, he's the cream of the crop. He's the best Christian. He's the best one. Let's give him $10,000. That was only good at Bob Jones University. He used it. Man, it was easy. I look back at that and it was, it was garbage. It was a waste. Because I didn't know Jesus. Man, I knew a lot about him. I knew the laws. I knew the rules. Garbage. Dung. It makes me think and just maybe ask us parents in the room, do we just give moral nuggets for obedience? Or do we point people, to our children, to Jesus? And for all of us, do we look at the Bible as just some behavior modification? Or do we look to the one who had perfect behavior, the only one who could do it to set us free? They know about God, but they don't know God. Again, it says this, for, getting continuing that, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's Righteousness. So what are they ignorant of then, these Jews? They're, based, they're ignorant because of their works-based salvation. 
They were really keen on the do's, the don'ts to be better, right? To get our act together. And we fall into this, we fall into this so easily in our culture. Like I, I didn't, I, man, I'm, I'm struggling in my life, but man, and then I met Jesus and now I'm just happy all the time or I've got, I, I find abundance in my life. Or I, I remember meeting someone who, who was like, oh, I was a musician and I was struggling and I couldn't make it. And, and then I met Jesus. And now, now I'm leading thousands of people on worship every Sunday because of Jesus. And it, that's garbage. Jesus is not here to make you popular or wealthy or rich. He's here to satisfy your soul. That is a prosperity gospel. A prosperity gospel says, hey, you give to Jesus. Hey, you guys just give more money to the church. God is going to return that tenfold. It's garbage. Will he? Maybe he will. And you know what they love to do is they love this prosperity, prosperity gospel preachers love to look to Job. And Job has everything, his entire family, all of his wealth destroyed by the devil. And at the end of Job, it says that God, he had 10 children that were killed by Satan. And then at the end of the book, it says he had twice as many children, twice as much wealth. They say, see that? I go, what? hold on a second. Are you telling me that Job would have rather have lost 10 kids and gained 20 rather than just keep the 10 he had? <laughs> Are you telling me a day went by that he didn't mourn the loss of his children? That's not prosperity gospel. It's garbage is what that is. But this seeps into our churches. What I, I will say, it seeps into this church. It seeps into my soul. I always, I struggle a lot with a works-based faith and religion with God. Why? Because I think God owes me something. Every time, I'm, listen, this is me just being honest. Every time my kid gets sick, every time, God, don't you do this. You, you owe me. You owe me. You have any idea of the sacrifices I've made for you and you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna maybe get my kid sick or take my kid? Do not touch my kid. You owe me. I think, I think that. And I'm sure some of you do the same. Maybe not just kids, but for anything else. God, you owe me this job. You owe me this promotion. You owe me fill in the blank. You owe me this spouse. You owe me something. That's prosperity gospel trash. As if God owes you something. He doesn't owe you another breath. Because your adherence to a religion doesn't owe you anything. Grace and mercy and mercy. Ken Hughes says this, instead of turning to God in repentance, the Jews sought to establish their own righteousness. They saw the law as a way to lift themselves up to God. There are many people like that today, both Jews and Gentiles. A letter by a rabbi to a young man who had turned to Christ gives this classic expression. It's the quote here from the rabbi then. The basic question about religion is how to elevate man and bring him closer into a closer relationship with God. That's the rabbi's view of the purpose of religion. It is to elevate man, not to change him. We believe that God revealed to us in the Torah, the law of Moses, how he wants us to live so that we can be in harmony with his divine purpose. Our role and religious purpose is to obey God's laws, to love him and to obey him. We exercise our free will by proper intention and through having, and though having done the good deeds are, uh, are elevated so that it becomes progressively easier and more natural to continue to do good and resist evil. 
Ken Hughes then says this, from this we see that one of the current Jewish positions on how to be right with God is to simply keep working at it until it becomes easier and easier. Then one is elevated finally to a place of righteousness before him. That is works-based religion and it seeps into our churches all the time. If I just do better, if, I just, if I'm just a better person, I'll be closer to God and then, man, he'll bless me more. It'll become easier to fight sin and all these different things. The end of the law for righteousness. Last point here. Again, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For continuing the thought, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. What is God's righteousness then for? Here's it is continuing. Here's the answer. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You want to be righteous? It's not by obeying the laws. It's believing in Christ. Listen, Paul just gets done in chapter nine using all these really big words of predestination and chosen by God. He's saying everyone needs to believe. That's my prayer, that you would believe. God's word has not failed. It's always been the case. Faith in the promises of God. There's a I actually didn't know it was from Parks and Rec. I was, uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a clip, it was a, of a general and he's talking and there's a, there's a what do you call, like a town hall meeting and there's some, someone outbursting and he goes, I think it's from, he's supposed to be from Venezuela or something. And he's like, oh man, if that, if that happened in, in, in my town, like they would go directly to jail. You know, like where are all the police? They, they would go directly to jail, right? We, 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 said, we arrest a lot of people, right? You, you undercook fish, you go to jail. You overcook chicken, you go to jail. You don't show up for the dentist, believe it or not, directly to jail. He's like, we have great, we have great patients, <laughs> right? Everyone, everyone is just a great citizen because of jail. And then this past week, I found this meme from uh, one of my pastor friends uh, from Michigan. And, and, and this is the guy who was doing it. It says, you only have mustard seed faith, you get grace. It, you have belief and you need help with unbelief, more grace. You deny him and desert him before the cross, believe it or not, grace right away. That, that's the gospel. I can't, I can't work it. I can't do better. I can't be a better person. I need to rely on the grace of God. Let's just briefly, and then I'll, then I'll close. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let me read this quote. What are, what are we talking about with this law for righteousness? Let me just read Douglas Moo. I've been a big fan of his commentary uh, going through Romans. It says this. The law was never intended by God to be his final word. All along, it was anticipating something greater to come. Now that something greater has come, Christ, he is the telos of the law. This little Greek word has stimulated an amazing amount of discussion and debate. Does it mean end in the sense of termination or does it mean goal? Does Christ bring the law to an end or is he the inner meaning of the law? Perhaps the best way to answer this question is to go back to the race imagery that Paul has been using in this context. We might picture the law as a race itself and Christ is the finish line. As Israel runs the race of the law, they should always, of course, have their eyes fixed on the finish line. Instead, Paul has been suggesting Israel concentrated so exclusively on their race that they forgot about the finish line. With the coming of Christ, 
the finish line has been reached, but Israel does not recognize it with this imagery in mind. Telios has the sense of climax or culmination. Christ does the end of the law, sorry, Christ does end the law in the sense that his arrival means that an era of Torah is over. But also Christ is the law's goal as the law was instituted by God for a set of time and a set purpose. It prepared Israel for the coming of the Messiah. Now that the Messiah has come, righteousness is available for everyone who believes. In John chapter 19, Jesus is on the cross and he says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine and hissed a branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the spirit. It's finished. If we think of what Jesus did as a race, and he's the finish line. He crossed it, right? The Jews were, were running the race of the law, finish line of Jesus. They take their eyes off of Jesus. Our problem is we're now on this side of Jesus and we go, hey, I'm either good. I don't need to obey the law, any laws. I guess I'm good in Jesus. Or we say, hey, and we're, we, hey Jesus, keep, keep coming. Let me, let me show you what I can do to help you finish even more. Let, let me show you how we can extend this race by my good works let me show you, God, Jesus, what I did to earn you finishing the finish race. That didn't make any sense because it's not something, it can't. It's finished. How can we add something to it? That's what Paul is saying. That's the application in our life. And so a gospel application, believe it or not, grace right away. You get grace. You look back on your life and you say, man, I was, I, I, my guess is not too many of you had an upbringing like me. And you go, yeah, that was garbage. It was a cult. It was bad. It was garbage. It was a waste of time. It was a waste of my life. I, I, I knew what to do, but I didn't, I didn't know God. Yeah, grace. Grace for you who are over-churched, de-churched, deconstructing, fill in the blank. Grace. But you also then might be in the camp who says, I, I didn't grow up like that. Not even, not even close. And you still might look back and say, yeah, but it was garbage. It was a, it was a waste. Why? Because I wasn't in Christ. And maybe you knew God, and I, and I did. I, I believed in Jesus. I think I was saved when I was a young kid, when I was going through all that. But, my, but I took my eyes off the prize, and I again focused on that race, on the law, and being good, and, and salvation by works. At least approval from God by works, for sure. And I didn't look that it was finished, that I get grace every day. There might have been a few things from our town that I said this morning that might make you feel guilty. I make you feel guilty for not praying for a loved one. Grace, right away. I might have felt guilty over thinking that you're good enough for God's love and feeling guilty about that grace today. I might be feeling guilty that God owes you something based on something you did for him. Grace, right away. I need that. I need God's grace. Maybe you've been striving and working your fingers down to the bone to be a good person so that God will love you or you'll be acceptable enough. Believe it or not, grace right away. It is finished was his cry. The race is finished. We cannot add anything else to that. And so this morning, like we do every week, we're gonna take communion. We're gonna take these elements, the wafer that represents his body that was broken for us, the blood, the juice that represents his blood. 
that he shed for our sins. He finished it. He paved the way. He, he, he took on the wrath of God that we deserved. And he says, I'm gonna give you grace and mercy, period. Well, God, what, what, what can I do to earn, to, to, to like show you that I, that I wanna give back that grace? Like nothing, it's finished. Stop it, stop. And we get to remember that purely this morning. And by the finished work of God and Christ and the cross, now, now we walk in a way, in a worthy, a manner worthy of the gospel, but out of grace, out of love, out of a response, not out of obligation or duty. It's done, it's finished, it's finished. I can't do anything. Let me pray and we'll have communion. The worship team's gonna come back up. They'll play two songs. Feel free to grab these elements as you see fit. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church. Uh, but if you would like to partake of these elements and just remember the finished work of, of, the, of Jesus and say, I love Jesus. I love the freedom that I have in Christ, that he has made me new. He has resurrected me from death to life. Man, I, I love him and I wanna live in a way that is honoring to him. I'd love for you to take these elements uh, with me this morning and with us as a church. And so let me pray and then we will uh, worship through communion and through song together. Heavenly Father, you're good. You're so good. You demonstrate your love and your grace to us all the time. And so, many, so much of that we take for granted. So much of it we think that we, you, we've earned or that you owe us uh, or whatever it may be. God, you don't owe us anything. You didn't even owe us your son. You didn't owe us salvation. You chose to give us salvation based on your grace and mercy alone. So God, would we recognize that as we take these elements to remember the finished work of Christ, that it is finished, was his cry. We love you and it's in his name that we pray.